0: Last week when we were together we began a sermon series in preparation for Christmas and this year we are orienting it around the question, do you hear what I hear? And of course, we're orienting it around that question, around that song and that particular fresh question and phrase within the song. And we started this with a consideration of the faculty of hearing as essential to our faith. And in order to see that, we looked uh, at Romans chapter 10, where in Romans chapter 10, it says that faith comes from Hearing. It is a hearing that hearkens unto the word that is preached. And so, hearing, we saw, is essential to the faith. It is indispensable that God give to us the gift of hearing. And it's crucial, of course, then for Christmas, a message that we hear together. Today we transition to the substance of what we hear. So if last week was setting up hearing, now we're looking at what in particular do we hear in the Annunciations, the Annunciations that take place to Zechariah uh, and then to Mary and then to the shepherds themselves. Uh, If you would like to, uh, in just a moment I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1 and then 2. You can follow along in your Bibles. You may find it easier this morning uh, just to look at the passages that are uh, found in your bulletins for this sermon, as you would like. Here's what we're going to do then, just so you're aware of it and see where we're going. Uh, over the next few weeks together, today we consider here the first words. That's our our message today. The first words, and then here the old words. Christmas Eve we'll consider together here the miraculous words, and then Christmas Day. Hear the joyful words. That's our sequencing through this. So first words today, our focus as I read for us is then on the greetings in particular. And I say to you, hear then the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 5 of chapter 1 of Luke 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now one more very familiar one for us, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 to the shepherds. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we pray that today you would enable us to hear and to hearken unto your word. It is your word. It is spoken by you. Today, again, give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the wonderful parts of Christmas is the opportunity that we have to greet one another with simple and gracious words of goodwill. I'm sure it is true for you. I know that it is true for me that it's one of the wonderful times of Christmas just to be able to say to people, Merry Christmas, to wish people well. We do it in cards and we do it in texts and in songs and in emails. And of course, it's most fun when we're able to do it in person to extend these Christmas blessings to those who are around us of joy and of love and of peace to extend to one another our, uh, our season's greetings, our holiday greetings that are appropriate to the time. Now that may be a small part of it. It might be a small part of Christmas, but it is one of the sweet parts of our celebration. And the first Christmas began with greetings as well. The first words spoken by the angels and heard by Zechariah and by Mary and the shepherds, they they set the tone. They set the tone not only for that first Christmas, but they set the tone for all of the Christmases that would follow after it as well. And so I invite us once again to hear that which is, I trust and hope, plenty familiar to you, to hear again these first words. Now, each of the stories that I just read for us has a little bit of variation to it, right? And we're aware of those. We could talk extensively about those. But just to acknowledge it, there are variations here in these. These are different people who are addressed. And the settings, the locale uh, for each one of these annunciations is different. So you've got Zechariah who's serving in the temple in Jerusalem when he hears the word From the angel. Mary is in Nazareth, and we don't have an exact location within Nazareth. Presumably, she was in her home when she heard these words spoken to her. And then, of course, we've got the shepherds who are outside of Bethlehem and uh, who hear the words and they hear the words with the light shining all around them. Apparently uh, there's, well we're not, we at least don't read of a particular light shining in those appearances either to Zechariah or to Mary. So there are some difference, differences in each one of the episodes that are before us but What I trust you heard even in my brief reading of them is that they are quite evidently very similar to one another as well. There's a very similar contour to each of these greetings, to each of these annunciations. They all begin with a visitation, right? They all start with a heavenly visit, with a heavenly visitor coming to a person. And just to to note this, This is an important theme for Luke. How you visit and who visits and how you receive who visits is an important way for Luke to understand and to present to us the coming of Christ as a whole. As Luke sees it, one of the ways to characterize the coming of Christ is that this is a grand visit. This is the great visitation that takes place in the world uh, Zechariah just to point this out a little bit uh, Zechariah in his uh, well we call it the Benedictus in his song in his prayer in his prophecy in the very first line of it says this blessed be the Lord the God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people the, uh, then verse 78 says something very similar, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Later in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus raises a widow's son, we read this, fear sees them all, that is the people who are around, and they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, God has visited his people, And then towards the end of his ministry and towards the end of the gospel, we hear Jesus, we see Jesus, we're given the picture of Jesus crying and weeping and mourning over Jerusalem because they failed to see, they failed to understand, to discern the time of their visitation. And this idea of a visit then theme is established very early on in Luke with these three angelic visitations. So the great visitation by Christ is preceded, if you will, by these three preparatory visitors who are here. Now, this is in no way to try and suggest that this is the first time that God has visited his people. We could go into the Old Testament. We're not going to do that, but we could go into the Old Testament and see how heavenly messengers come to the people of God there as well. I referenced one of them on the front of your bulletin in Daniel. You can see that and look at that uh, later. I'll quote it a little bit later. But several times in the book of Daniel we get this idea and this, this representation of a heavenly visitor and you could think easily if you spend some time thinking about it of Abraham, of uh, Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife who receive a visitation of an angel, and you could think of it with Elijah as well or ones that probably come quickly to mind for us when these angels come, they herald a message to which the people to whom they come ought hearken. They ought to hear it. They ought to listen well to it. And nevertheless, despite the fact that visitations took place uh, in the Old Testament, they were, of course, decidedly rare. And so when the veil between heaven and earth is pulled back, it is always, it's always startling. It's always unsettling. It's always somewhat shocking for the earthly recipient of that visit. It's not startling, of course, for the heavenly visitor. They know why they've been sent, to whom they've been sent, and what is taking place. But it is for the one who receives them. And what we can see plainly in the episodes that are before us today is what we would also see if we were to to take time and go through the Old Testament examples of these visits as well. We see it's the initial reaction to these visits that is a very common one. Fear fell upon Zechariah. Mary was greatly troubled and the shepherds were filled with great fear. They were sore afraid. Now, maybe we don't need to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway to ask the question, why were they afraid? What, what made them afraid in this particular setting? Let me, let me try and offer some things. Surely, the first reason for fear is the pure shock factor. right? It doesn't take much to startle us. It doesn't take much to make us afraid. Uh, A loud noise that happens unexpectedly can startle us, someone who comes up behind us, whether they were sneaking up behind us or whether they just happened to come up behind us and we weren't aware of it. That can get our adrenaline pumping real quickly and real fast as well. So, when there is someone automatic or immediately in your presence and you didn't know they were there, period, that's going to shock you, it's going to startle you, it's going to stir up a certain amount of fright. Now, I think a second reason that they were afraid is that with an angel, one would immediately be aware of this sense of exposure there is of course an otherness to the heavenly realm and when that otherness breaks in and when all of a sudden that otherness is right in front of you you get the sensation very quickly that wait a minute I thought I was in this place by myself or with God around, for example, for Zechariah. But otherwise, I was by myself here in the temple. No one else comes into this place. Only the high priest is going to be in here. And yet you realize immediately that you're actually not alone, that you've been seen, that you've been watched, that you've been observed, and that you've been exposed, if you will. This leads the uh, the old pastor, writer, theologian, uh, J.C. Ryle. And I've, I've read this to us before, but it was a couple of years ago, and I'll read it to us again. Ryle asks exactly this question, whence the fear? And here's how he responds to it. Here's a, a quote from J.C. Ryle. It arises from an inward sense of weakness, guilt, and corruption. The vision of an inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfection and our natural unfitness to stand before God. If angels are so great and terrible, what must the Lord of angels be? Rao's suggestion then is this idea of unfitness, that immediately in the presence of an angel, we recognize that we are unsuited For the moment, we are not properly clothed, not merely that we're not properly clothed externally, but that we're not properly suited, we're not properly fitted internally as well to be in the presence of someone, a being so glorious, so holy, so pure as the one that is standing in front of us. And this leads me to what I think is the final reason for the fear then. If that's the case, if that process takes place in a moment where you realize your unsuitability, your unfitness, then we would have a question in our minds immediately. And the question would be, why are you here? What are you doing here? Why have you come to this place in front of me? Am I about to die is, is God's judgment about to be poured out upon me? Is this a moment? Is this a many is, is a, a many tekel, parson moment, right? That's the handwriting on the wall. Is, is this the moment when you declare that you've been watched, you've been observed, you've been weighed and found to be wanting? your days are numbered, numbered a, a woe is me moment. So now before then we hear the first words spoken, of course you, you know what they're going to be, but before we hear the first words that are spoken, let's appreciate something in these three visits that we've got before us to these three people in these various settings. They're certainly unique and they are certainly intense, but fear and being troubled are in no way limited to these folks. There's no limit, there's no corner market for people standing in front of an angel to be afraid. Zechariah and Mary and the shepherds are afraid, but they're not the only ones who struggle with fear and with being afraid. Do you know the first time the word fear is used in the Bible? You got it? The first time the verb fear is used in the Bible, it's a visit. It's a divine, heavenly visit. It's where Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. God comes down for a visit to the garden. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. It's a visit that is now marked by his unsuitability, by his nakedness, his perception of his nakedness, not just externally, although it is externally manifested, but internally as well. I was afraid. And from that moment on, here's the reality. The reality is that fear and being troubled at the presence of God or at the presence of a divine being being, is common property. It's common property for all of humanity. Fear is at work in every single one of us for that same reason, that same sense that I'm not fit for this moment. It's common property and yet it is personal property for every one of us as well. It would simply be intensified should we face an angelic appearance and otherworldly visitation. So, there they find themselves in that situation. If you were in that situation, what are the first words you would want to hear? What are the fir- What's the first thing that you want to hear if you're in that situation? Do you know the second time? The verb fear is used in your Bible. The second time the verb fear is used in your Bible is in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord, the Lord who speaks, the Lord who is not silent, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Fear not, that's the next time the verb is used. The first one is, I'm afraid. The next time is to Abram. And so it continues throughout the rest of Scripture. To the son of Abraham, to Isaac, we read this The Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. To an older Jacob, fear not. To Joshua, fear not to Gideon, fear not to Daniel on the front of your bulletin, fear not to all of Israel. In the passage that we read or that Jack read for us earlier in Isaiah 43, I trust you heard it, right? You heard it. Verse 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with you. To Zechariah, to Mary, and to the shepherds, the word is given. Fear not. Don't be afraid. They are the first words that we would want to hear. They are the first words that they and we need to hear. Don't fear says the angel, this is a good visit. This is not a bad visit. This is a good visit. 400 years of scriptural, of prophetic silence are broken by an ancient phrase, by a biblically well-worn, broken-in, time-tested word. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I bring you not bad tidings, not bad news, but glad tidings and great news. And the substance of that news, I know this is a little bit odd, but the substance of that news we will put off for a few weeks to come. Hint, it is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ who has come into the world to forgive us of our sins and to establish his kingdom of peace and righteousness in the world. But that's to come. The point for now is that we don't need to be afraid because the herald who has come, you never know with a herald, are they coming bringing good news or are they coming bringing bad news? But the herald who has come on behalf of the king says, I have come to bring you good news, don't be afraid. God has not forgotten his promises. God has not canceled his covenant He's not ignoring the pain and the prayers and the longings of his people. He's not deaf or disinterested. He's not become somehow disconnected from his people. Fear not. And this idea of fear not is expanded in a few other sweet first words that accompany it in both uh, Zechariah and Mary. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1 with me. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. That's amplification of fear not Fear not, Zechariah, God has been listening to your prayers. He is a God who hears, and you have been praying, and God has heard. This is a very similar word, if you think of it, that was given to Daniel as well. Daniel, fear not. The moment your prayers went up, they were heard. The emissaries of heaven heard the prayers, the God of heaven heard. Heard the prayers. God has been listening to the prayers of this righteous couple for a child, for a nation. And God has heard those prayers. And and, and here's then a lesson buried in there. Don't be afraid. Pray. Don't be afraid. Pray. And, and, And then to Zechariah. Zechariah, do not fear. I've heard the prayer. I, I've, I've heard the prayer. God hears that prayer, that petition, that longing that you've got. I hear it. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And then it continues. In your old age, this longing that you've had for so many years is going to be answered. I'm going to give you a son which sounds like so many other promises we could rehearse in Scripture. I'm going to give you a son, and here's the name for him John. John. Give him the name John, which to us just sounds like a name, but is not just a name. It is a name that means Yahweh has been gracious, the Lord. The God, the covenant God, has been gracious to you. That's the name you should set upon him. Don't be afraid. Mary. Mary. In addition to don't be afraid, she has a threefold greeting from the angel as well, designed to comfort, designed to assure or to reassure this young woman in this extraordinary situation. We find that, of course, in verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings. These are words of rejoicing and of gladness. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is joyful. Even this, this simple word, greetings, is a joyful word unto her. And then she is called favored one. Favor here is a word for grace. It is an echo back from Genesis chapter 6, when Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. She is a favored one. She is one who has found the grace of God. Mary has been compassed with the grace of God. Now, I open our services each week, if I don't forget it, But I open our services each week with this exact same idea. And it's very intentionally done, part of my opening greetings to you are grace and peace to you in our lord jesus christ and the last words that will come from the pulpit are the benediction the blessing from god the words from god so that you like mary are compassed a point stuck in stuck in the middle of the church stuck in your heart and then swung around all the way around that says you are surrounded by grace In Jesus Christ, you have become the favored ones of God, the apple of his eye. You are beloved, you are precious, you are chosen, you are mine, says the Lord. I made you, I redeemed you for myself. I love you. I would give up others for you. Boom, compassed with grace. And that's what God says to Mary as well. And then this last phrase God is with you don't be afraid Mary God is with you and again here we could spend a whole sermon on this don't worry we won't but this is one of the richest and oldest of biblical phrases and it is given to assure Mary and, and I, I somehow I want to say something here without diminishing it let's just say, say it this way in the first place it is given to Mary because there's nothing better than the presence of God Right? To have God with you is the sweetest of sweet things. To be with God is the best of the best. But typically speaking, when the phrase comes out, God is with you, it means that God is with you in the mission, in the purpose, in the goal, in what he has given you to do, in the task that is at hand. God says, I'm with you in this. My presence is with you. My strength is with you in what I have given and charged you to do. And Mary, of course, is stunned by the greeting, stunned by it, humbled by it. Who am I? Who am I? My, the humblest state of me. Why should I receive this kind of greeting? So the first words given to Zechariah to Mary to the shepherds are then the first words for the church of Jesus Christ. Fear not, parents, fear not. Those of you who are sick, fear not. Those of you who are out of work, fear not. Children of this church, there is much of which you could be afraid. Fear not. Tell Arthur, fear not. Fear not, little one. The Lord is with him, has compassed him with his grace and with his greetings. Through faith in Jesus Christ that comes from hearing, Hear these words of your Savior. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To Daniel, just to hear it in slightly different words, it sounded like this. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh, man greatly loved, fear not, peace, peace. Be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. See, it it was the touch, it was the words of the angel that brought to him a strength by which he then cried out, I'm ready to hear more. I'm ready to hear. Speak now. I'm strengthened unto hearing from you. In Christ Jesus, the Lord has compassed us with favor with grace, and with himself. Christmas is the time of the great visitation. God has visited his people, and in that visit, he greets us with words of grace, with words of joy. Lord, we pray that we would receive the visit as such. Where we are, beset, with anxiety and fear and trepidation, where we are discouraged, Lord, may we hear the words of the sweet greeting that comes to your people purchased by your son and given unto us. We pray in his name. Amen.